The theme from, for today um, is from a sermon series at St Michael's in Handorf. Uh, that church has sermon series online every week. And uh, this one wasn't actually one of their online sermons, but we got their permission to use it because we think it fits in with the themes that we've been going through over the last few weeks. Um, I will warn you, it's a little longer than we're normally used to here, so um, just make yourself comfortable if you get a bit tired. The preacher's Pastor Finn Klein, who's the pastor there, and the theme is What is the Church? It's a series they're doing, and this is the second sermon from that series. Um, the Bible passage for today is Acts 15, 22 to 35, and we're reading from the New Living Translation because it flows a little easier for some people. So follow it along, the words are there. My reading's not all that good, but I'm going to read it off the screen, so here we go. Then the apostles and elders, together with the whole church in Jerusalem, chose delegates. Does that remind you of us sending somebody to synod or something, convention? Yes. And they sent them to Antioch of Syria with Paul and Barnabas to report on this decision. The men chosen were two of the church leaders, Judas, also called Barsabbas, not Barabbas, Barsabbas, and Silas. This is the letter they took with them. This letter is from the apostles and elders, your brothers in Jerusalem. It is written to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, Cilicia. Greetings. And I'm sure it's a greetings in the name of Jesus, but we'll add that in, shall we? So if we were writing that letter, that's how we would do it. We understand that some men from here have troubled you and upset you with their teaching, but you did not listen to But we did not send them. I'm reading ahead. So we decided, having come to complete agreement, to send you official representatives along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are sending Judas and Silas to confirm what we have decided concerning your question. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. Messages went at once to Antioch, where they called a general meeting of the believers and delivered the letter. And there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. Then Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers, encouraging and strengthening their faith. They stayed for a while, and then the believers sent them back to the church in Jerusalem with a blessing of peace. Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch. They and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord there. This is the word of the Lord. And now we'll hear via video from Pastor Finn Klein. This morning, I know I normally say we're going to spend our time in Acts 15, so open there and follow along. But this morning is actually more of a word study. So if you've got a Bible with you, feel free to put your thumb in Matthew chapter 16, Acts chapter 15, Ephesians 3, 2 Peter 3, 1 Corinthians 1. And if you've got all that, you're doing incredibly well. What is this church that we speak of? Shall we pray? Lord, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. 
Amen. This is our second week in our series on what is the church, what does it mean to belong to the kingdom of God. And we started with that beautiful image, Revelation uh, chapter 7 last week, that grand picture of people of every age, every place, every culture, every language, every tribe, every tongue, all brought together, all distinct, all unique, but all sharing in common our life following the Lamb. And so if we want to understand who we truly are, that's where we start. Because that's our eternal truth, isn't it? That's what we're going to spend compared to our time here on earth. This is going to be nothing compared to the time that we spend in that great multitude. So that's who we truly are. How does that translate to now? How do we then live here in this local community or wherever you are as this kingdom of God, our tiny little speck of it? here and now what does that actually mean and this is what we normally call the church well this morning we're going to actually explore that word church because when Jesus called his disciples together and he called them the church and this is Matthew chapter 16 he didn't make up a new word and we need to be aware of that right we read church in most of our translations so this is the story where Jesus asked the disciples who do people say that I am or oh, some say you know, John the Baptist, others Moses, Elijah, a whole lot of different people. Okay, who do you say I am? And Peter responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus responds, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And we hear that and we think this. Jesus didn't make up a new word at that point. If you were going to make up a word for a group of disciples, what would you call them? A squabble? A parliament, a murder, a murder of disciples. You know, like Jesus didn't make up a word. He took a word that was already in existence, already in use, that was already familiar to people, and he said, I'm going to build my church. So it comes preloaded. And the word that we use there, it sounds very spiritual, very religious. It was ecclesia. And if you've done any theological trainings, you're like, oh, yes, ecclesiology, the study of the church. Well, yes and no, that's kind of boring. Ecclesia wasn't a spiritual word at all. In fact, it was quite the opposite in terms of the way we think. It was a civil word. If you went back to Jesus' day and said, where is the ecclesia? If you were speaking to a Roman, they would talk about the gathering of elected officials in Rome, in Athens. The ecclesia were people who were called out is literally what the greek means ek out of uh, kaleo called they're called out of a normal role to take on a specific responsibility and so through the roman empire the job of the ecclesia in the broader sense was to ensure that the empire lived according to the rules mandates and regulations of the empire how do we deal with our current situation in light of who we are as a Roman citizen and then that would break down into all the towns and villages every town would have an ecclesia so if there was disruption you would go to the ecclesia and they would then mandate how that life would look so that's the Roman perspective a very uh, very civil perspective it also happened in Jewish culture where they had this group that would be known as an ecclesia but it was made up of a different kind of people so a 
Jewish man has a couple of sons. He reaches the age of about 35 to 40. His sons are now ready to take over the family business. He hands over the tools of the trade. Retiring at 35 to 40. <laughs> Sorry, I get distracted. I don't think I can hand the church over to Zave at the moment, right? <laughs> but so you'd reach that age, your, your sons were ready to take over the business and you would literally hand it all over to them. And you, you know, if you've got work that you need help with, I can come back and lend a hand. You know, I can mow the lawns, I'll come and fix some stuff up for you. If the books get a bit out of whack, I'll, you know, I'll be there for you to call on. But more or less, everything is handed over to the next generation. It's, it's given over. Well then, what do you do? As a 40-year-old who's used to running your own business, working hard for a living, all of a sudden, you're sitting back enjoying the fruits of your labour, what happens? Well, the retired men would sit at the city gate together. And wherever or whenever there was a problem in the community, you know, two families are starting to have it out, they're having an argument, and they needed wisdom, they would go down together to the city gate and they would be speaking to their uncles, their fathers, their grandfathers, you know, extended family, that's how those villages work. And they would sit there and they would say, we have a problem and we can't resolve it ourselves. And then the ecclesia, the ecclesia, however you want to pronounce it, would not just come up with an answer, tell you what to do and run off. But they would spend half a day, a day, unpacking your situation, asking you questions, diving into the details. And so as the day would progress, this called out group would feed into your story the wisdom and wealth of knowledge that they have collectively into the lives of the members of that community. And then they would go away, taking what they had learned taking what they had heard and applying it to their situation and coming to a resolution. That's the ecclesia at work. That's what it meant. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to build my ecclesia, what's he saying? He says, I'm making you, you disciples of mine, you who are following me, you who recognize me as Lord, you are going to be living in the world around you. You are going to be neighbors and friends and family, but collectively you are going to be my ecclesia, my pool of wisdom, my shared knowledge for the sake of the world. And so the disciples would have known that when they heard that, that they were given a, a role that was normally held for those in the highest of regard, those who had made it, those who were retired, you know, like the people with esteem with the Ecclesia, and here they were, as people who never would have made the Ecclesia, being invited to be it, not just generally as if they got to speak about the wisdom of farming and, you know, tools of the trade and whatever else, but they were to speak of and to uphold and to share and to regulate Jesus' kingdom here on earth. The word ecclesia is only used in the Gospels twice, so it's in Matthew 16. The next time it appears is Matthew 18, and we usually read this as a punitive story, but it takes on a different um, bent when you understand what an ecclesia did. In Matthew 18, so shortly after this passage, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he 
is when two of you are in conflict, go one on one to each other, right? Leave your offerings at the altar. Don't don't go on with your religious celebrations or any of that. Just stop. If you if there's a problem, talk to each other, right? Come together as equals. Share, talk, discuss. If that doesn't help, bring someone along so that we can get the story unpacked. If that doesn't help, take it to the ecclesia, the pool of wisdom, those who are set apart to speak words of grace and of godliness and of life together in your community. And in that place, this is the interesting part, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered, when the ecclesia comes together, there I am in the midst of them. See, it's less a punitive approach to governing the congregation and more to say, don't you realise that God has brought us together, has called us out as a people to play a beautiful and unique role in the shaping of our community and that when we gather around the word, when we call Jesus Lord, when we trust in him, when we grow in him, we become... It's a scary thought, but we become the pool of godly wisdom for our sake and the sake of the world. Now, if that's what Jesus meant when he called us the church, shouldn't that become our purpose, our goal, and what we strive for? So our, our big picture place is in the kingdom of God in the midst of that uncountable group of people. But our local expression is to be the place of wisdom and not just generally, but the wisdom of God. Sharing what God has done for us. Now the interesting thing is, throughout the scriptures in the new testament when it talks about the church all of that knowledge was assumed right so you'd use the word ecclesia everyone would know what it was about so it was never defined you can read through the gospels and the epistles and you never really hear um that being expounded which admittedly made preparing for today really difficult but you know we need to wrestle with this word ecclesia but there was just uh, in this story in acts chapter 15 this is the first major hurdle that the church had faced in terms of life together and it was around uh, that thing we touched on last week can a gentile skip becoming a jew and go straight to becoming a christian right they had to work it out and so the church gathered and because it needed an official sounding name it's the first council of jerusalem and they got together and if you thought our synods were bad oh my goodness it almost came to blows like it's, it's the language of, you know, they were shouting at each other and they were arguing and they were howling at each other and they were working through the issue and they were passionate and you know what, that's good. Can we just say for a moment that if you get passionate about something and you want to stand for something and you want to fight for something, that's actually good. And they did that. But what I love is the result. So they've fought it out, they've argued and they've done everything they can and then it simply says this, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They wrestled with it, they unpacked it. 
They'd spent their time working through all the issues, listening to each other, as hard as that was at times. And then when it came time to share some godly wisdom, it wasn't just the apostles, even though they were all there. Now, quite frankly, if you wanted to know godly wisdom, I would have deferred to an apostle. Wouldn't you? What would Jesus say? And then somebody who's known Jesus for five minutes gets up and says, well, I believe Jesus. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> you don't know Jesus. Give me one of the guys who walked with him and talked with him. Seriously, who do you think you are? Right? Like, give me an apostle. Someone who had those three years with Jesus. Let, me, let them speak for him. It wasn't the case. It was the apostles and the elders and the whole ecclesia came to a place of godly wisdom for the sake of those who were coming to faith and for the sake of the world in which they would speak the faith. That's essentially the story that we read in Acts 15. I know it sounds mundane. You go from the big picture of heaven and being part of the kingdom, it's like that first half of a conference where you're like, yeah, this is going to be awesome, and then it gets into the nitty-gritty and you're like, oh, details, right. But this is our life as church together is that when we become a disciple of Jesus, when we become a follower of the crucified and risen Lord, it is not then that our life is me and Jesus and no one else, and now I'm going to work out what to do with it. Jesus, from the very beginning, said those who would come to faith would form part of his ecclesia, part of his church, part of the shared wisdom. And the basis on which we get to speak then is by what the Holy Spirit gives us to say. That is, in our time studying the word, hearing from Jesus, being drawn into his life and his grace and his knowledge, from that place then, we bring a voice, a spirit-filled voice, for the sake of the whole church. And that is true of 50 or 60 years, and it is true of you who have been Christians for five minutes. Why? Because the benchmark that Jesus gives is not when you've made it, when you've raised up the ranks and when you've sold off your business and you have the esteem of the community, then you get to speak. It is those on whom the Spirit rests. And so even with the first major conflict, dealing with some difficult issues for the first church... The wisdom had to come from the whole church. The wisdom had to be brought out of the people of God who'd been filled with his spirit, who knew him. So for us, this poses a massive challenge because we live in an individualistic society. People will say, you know, I follow Jesus, but, I, you know, that whole church thing, I don't get it. Or I can be a Christian on my own. Or even things like, I'll go to church by sitting on my couch on my own and I will dial in to my favourite band, my favourite preacher, you know, the one who inspires me. I'll sit there, I'll learn from him, but really it's just about me and Jesus. When Jesus is the one who says... I'm placing you in a community for your sake and for theirs. We can't then turn around and say, 
thanks Jesus but I prefer just me and you because what did he say from the very beginning when he defined his community give you a hint it's in that word (laughs) Jesus didn't define disparate individuals all following after him who may come together for a time he said I'm bringing you into this pool of wisdom so living in and sharing in a community of faith is not just important it's imperative right it's not just a good thing it's the thing it's why local churches exist that's why we gather together it's not so that you can come here and receive good things from God for the hour and then go back to your life right and wonder whether next week will be better worse or might be a different preacher or whatever else and you know wonder about those insignificant things we are a community for each other's sake and just like all communities and all family groups there will be squabbles there will be unrest we will have to push each other and fight for good things and press each other onto the goal and so if we are going to be the place of wisdom we need to be drawing from the source of wisdom yeah if we're going to take our place as the ecclesia seriously if we are going to be the pool of wisdom for each other and not just each other but for those of us here our community at large then if we're not drinking from the pool of wisdom what i was always told is perhaps a good thing to remember better to leave your mouth closed and remain a fool than open it and prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt But if we gather as the community of God and we talk about trivial things, inconsequential things, momentary things, what are we doing? Shouldn't it be that when we gather together, we live as Peter wrote, 2 Peter chapter 3, that you may grow in the grace and knowledge of your Lord Jesus. Because if we are going to be wisdom, then we'd better become wise. And what is the wisdom of God? Christ. It's why as we continue to explore our ministry here at St. Michael's, there's going to be an overarching question. And it may at times become a painful question. How does what we do draw people in to the wisdom of God? How how do the times that we spend together draw us deeper into wisdom and deeper into a life together where we're willing to share that with each other? Because we could run a whole lot of events that entertain, that give parents a break, that give our kids something to do besides hang down the street. We can do a whole lot of stuff to distract people from the life they are living for a moment so that they feel happier or we can draw people into the wisdom of God that is Jesus so that whatever life looks like beyond the time spent together the collective wisdom of the community has enabled us has equipped us and has inspired us to live a life worthy of our calling does that make sense because if we don't do that we're not honoring the role that Jesus gave us 
And you might be thinking, well, it's all well and good, but it's not for me. Well, did Jesus call you? Has he saved you? Has he redeemed you? Yes? <laughs> and guess what? He says it is for you, that you have a place in that, in that shared collective wisdom. And then from there, we, we grow in our understanding as individuals of being needing to be placed in a community of faith. We understand that in that community of faith, our goal and our purpose is to push one another on in knowing Jesus and making him known, of sharing in the wisdom of God. Then we need to seriously consider what it means for us in our local context as a church. So you think about it, the ecclesia, these groups of, at that time, men... Were they members of the community? Absolutely. Did they know their neighbours and their friends and their family? Absolutely. Did they at times have to say something that would challenge or upset or contradict? Absolutely. Did they say things at times that would uplift and inspire and give peace to their community? Absolutely. Do you know what their role was? It was to serve in such a way that everything that they said and they did was for the building up of the people around them. What do we say and do as the Ecclesia? You know, if you were an outsider and you walked into our church or if you're joining us online, you know, your local Christian community, what would they see? What would an outsider see? Lovely songs, nice music... What about the message that we share, not just what I share, but you share in the way that you live? Would it inspire, challenge, confront, confirm? See, we are called out, but we are still called to the people around us we're not called out so that we can lock ourselves in four walls put up our barricades and say i'm just going to park here until jesus returns or he calls me home right as if we can live a cloistered life hiding behind the veil of church nor can we be so unconvincing in our life transformed by the gospel that nobody could pick us if they had a conversation with us, right? We can't simply look and sound and act like everyone else. Right? If Jesus has called us out, if he's made us this ecclesia, if he's given us the source of wisdom, surely wisdom is proved right in her action. Does that sound familiar? And so we need to be careful. As God's people, what does it actually look like for us to engage our community called out by God to serve it to bless it I mean what if the church heaven forbid was the place that everyone looked to work out the nature of true peace what if the church was the place where everyone looked at when they wanted to work out how to love your enemies? What if the church 
was the place people looked to find a definition of beauty. What do we share? St. Michael's. If we are this fount of wisdom, what are we sharing? What are we valuing? What are we lifting up? Anything less than the wisdom, the grace and the knowledge of God that's all ours in Christ Jesus is a poor substitute for wisdom. So can we be confident in knowing whose we are and therefore who we are? Can we commend ourselves to not just turning up at events that suit us, but being a source of godly wisdom who speak the truth and the grace and the love of God for the good of those around us. Can we as a church begin to elevate the things that actually elevate us in that? This is a coincidence, but it's one of the good ones. In a few weeks, we're going to open up a Sunday afternoon study group here at the church. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Somebody came to me and said, you know, we need to do more of this. We need to be doing godly wisdom. I don't think they use that language, but they probably will from now on. <laughs> but I said, we need to be doing this. Can we do it? And I was like, well, we, yeah, we can. Sure. We, it's going to take a bit to organize. No worries. Let's get on with it. Let's just make it happen. And so we're going to start that. So that we come together for worship. Yes. We come together to receive Christ's forgiveness and come to his table. Yes. But then we come together again and again to learn wisdom. To challenge one another, to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. To not leave it to the paid professionals. Yes, the apostles had a role to play. Yes, the elders had a role to play. But do you notice where it came from? The whole church said, this is good. Let's say this. This is good. Let's do this. This is good. Let's pursue this. That's the church. Are we? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have established your church here on earth. We thank you, Jesus, that by your spirit we may know true wisdom. We pray, Jesus, help us to embrace the call to be the ecclesia, to be the ones you've called out to serve each other as a community of faith as we move forward, to serve the community abroad as we all seek to know the purpose and the goal of life.
Jesus, we thank you that you are with us, that you are in our midst. Inspire us to pursue you. In your name we pray. Amen.